Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. We just want to say we had a great time at the Family Fun Night this past Wednesday. Families from the church, the preschool, and the community joined us to have fun and spend time with their kids and even create some tie-dye shirts. If you weren't able to join us, we really hope you can make it to one of our future events. We have the youth lock-in coming up in a couple of weeks, and we have our Harvest Festival coming up at the end of October. So if you can make it out, we hope to see you there. The youth ministry and young adult ministry are headed to the Ladle Soup Kitchen on Sunday, October 10th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. For this homeless outreach, we are partnering with the First Presbyterian Church of San Diego, which is located in downtown. Here we will be able to serve the local homeless population with clothing and meals. If you would like to serve, please email Ryan for times and further information. We hope you can serve with us. Good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Please join us into worship. You have been faithful 
been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire darkest night you were close like no You 
worship you for me.
Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. You may be seated. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Sunday. Welcome to all those joining us online and in the Welcome Center. We are so thankful that you decided to join us this Sunday for our wonderful time of worship. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Student Ministries Director here at La Jolla Community Church, and I would love to draw your attention to a couple of things on your way in. You should have received one of the little communion cups along with your bulletin on your way in. If you need one of those, there's plenty more in the uh, hallway on your way in, so if you'd like to grab one of those really quick, you are more than welcome to do so. But as for your bulletin, I would love to bring your attention to that. If you notice, our lovely bulletins designed by our awesome media director, Josh, those things fold right in half right along the perforation, and they will tear in half. The lovely thing about this is my hope and prayer is that you guys take this top half home, you hand it to somebody, you give it to somebody that you care about, you give it to a neighbor, a friend, a relative, whoever you want in your life who you think would be uh, just a joy to join us online or in person. So please take that, hand it to somebody you love, and then on the bottom half of this card, we would love to have you fill out our Connect card. This is how we at La Jolla Community Church get you plugged in, involved, and connected in some of the wonderful ministries we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church. We just finished an awesome family fun night. We had over 50 families hanging out with us outside uh, Last Wednesday night, Connie put on a wonderful tie-dye family dinner for everybody. We had a blast with that, but we can't put on events like that unless we get you guys connected, plugged in, and involved. So if this is your first Sunday or your 100th Sunday and you would like to get involved here at La Jolla Community Church, please take a moment, fill out that Connect card, and let us know how we can get you connected here at church. And immediately on the other side of that card is our prayer card. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. My favorite thing that I get to do every Sunday is individually pray pray over every single prayer request that gets turned into our baskets here at church. So if you've got something going on in your life, you've got something difficult, you're just wondering, God, I do not know how I'm going to get through this next season. Take a moment, fill out that card, let us know how we can love on you, support you, and pray for you. Uh, this card, along with the offering envelopes, which are in the seat backs in front of you, they all can be turned in on your way out. There are boxes mounted on the wall in the sanctuary, as well as in the Welcome Center. You can drop those off on your way out. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And with that, I would love to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a wonderful message this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, fantastic. I love opening up the worship service with that music. It just, it just focuses me on the Lord. I hope it does for you, too. Uh, so what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? Uh, maybe you can think back at a time in your life when... Uh, you'd have had a very negative response to that. Maybe when you were 10. Somebody said, do you like going to the worship service? And maybe the 10-year-old would say, oh, the big church. And uh, uh, I know some people who are 60 and they, inside they're really a 10-year-old going, oh, I'm going to big church. It's going to be so boring. I'm going to sit there and just, unfortunately, my mom won't be there to hand me crayons or something, you know. So, uh, I asked uh, a very buttoned-down guy, a very serious guy this week, uh, hey, what do you think of when you think of worship? And he said, well, that's an interesting question. He said, I, th I think of myself standing at the front of a church with my hands up in the air. It was so not what I expected from this guy. I was expecting some kind of a cerebral answer, some traditional, I go to church, you know, to honor my obligations to God. Or, no, he just said, and I, I love it. And, and so he's with another guy. And, I, and I, who's also a very buttoned-down guy, and I said, well, how about you? He said, I cringe at the thought. 
Uh, all I can think of is going and sitting through long, boring services where there's, you know, smells and bells, and I didn't really follow it. And uh, it's a great question, isn't it? What comes to your mind when you think of worship? Uh, do you think, oh, I can't wait for Sunday? That sounds like they set up to a joke, you know, in some ways. And yet, uh, uh, to ask that question is to ask sort of a central core question about what it means to walk with God. Uh, we're going to look at that this morning. So what comes to mind when you hear the word worship? I want to either confirm what's in your mind this morning or change it <laughs> by the time we're done uh, together. Uh, perhaps the word uh, style or the thought of style comes to your mind. You know, all the styles of worship. There's probably... Uh, half a dozen or more preferred styles of worship. I think this is a neat thing. Uh, people I know who just love a very austere, quiet service. People who love a very uh, regimented service. Uh, if you've ever been to an Anglican church service in England, then or anywhere actually, but especially in England, and you, you might go to a church that's known for being very liberal and they reject all the major doctrines of the Anglican church, and yet, you sat through that service, and except for the five-minute sermon, sermonish time, uh, what you got was a constant flow of Scripture, uh, Proverbs, Psalms, Old Testament passages, New Testament passages, music. The choir, if they had one, was singing. And you feel like you're not just in the Harry Potter dining room, but you're worshiping God in it. And you walk out of it saying, that church service, and this church is known as being highly liberal and, and not particularly enamored of Jesus as Lord and Savior, or the need of the world, uh, I just heard more scripture than probably any American evangelical church. You think of style, um, and what is it? What kind of style is it? Very effusive, my friend with his hands up in the air. Uh, or do you think of a setting? Oh, I love it being in a big Gothic cathedral-like setting. Uh, there are certain places you walk in and you just can't help but feel, whoa, this is amazing. Uh, Nash, the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., they still have full-time stonemasons working on that thing around the clock. Uh, right now, they're, re they're rebuilding the roof in Notre Dame. If you've ever been to Notre Dame and you walked in, as somebody once said, walking in, has anybody been saved here lately? It's a great question. But the fact is, when you walk into a place like that, it's, it's very inspiring. St. Paul's in London. Uh, sometimes it's, it's a style that is very mystical. Uh, if you go to a Greek Orthodox church, you might feel like, well, what's going on here? You know, especially if you go to uh, a place like Mount Athos, the center of Greek Orthodox uh, life in Greece. And uh, it, they, they'll light these massive candelabra and they'll get them spinning, swinging through the room. There's icons. Uh, there's all these chants and things. If, if a person serving communion, if one of the priests serving communion happens to spill the, the wine or the bread... It's like a hazmat crew comes in. It's like Monsters R Us. They, you know, if you ever saw that Monsters Inc., I guess it is, you know, they all rush in and they take the little sock off the guy uh, that somehow came in from the, the, the world of people. Uh, and so, uh, you know, style, settings. Uh, how about feelings? You know, maybe sometimes you say, well, I, I really like church when I, f I laugh a lot. I one time was talking to a guy um, here in La Jolla, and uh, we were talking about, this whole notion of not just worship, but walking with Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus and what church is for. And he said, look, I just want to, your job is to make me feel good when I come to church. Wow. And what makes you feel good? Putting my mind in neutral and just taking it all in. Wow. All right. 
Uh, are you with me so far? Uh, there's a lot of possibilities when you ask the question, uh, what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? And in terms of styles, there's a lot of them, and they're all awesome. In terms of settings, there's a lot of them, and they can be likewise awesome. And I literally am using that word not as vernacular, but as an attribute of God. And when we talk about feelings, it can be awesome. Uh, Isaiah is in the temple, we see in Isaiah chapter 6. And he has such an incredibly real experience of God through this vision that he immediately confesses his sin. His feeling wasn't, it's great being here today. You know, his feeling is, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Whoa, what's going to happen to me? I don't deserve being here. I'm an imposter. I'm an imposer. I'm trespassing in a holy place. And so, of course, one of these creatures on, up, up around the Lord takes a coal from a fire on the altar and, and touches his lips with it and, and cleanses him. And next thing you know, Isaiah, in response to the question, who shall we send, hears his own voice, probably like an out-of-body experience, saying, here I am, send me. Like, who said that? I said that. And all of a sudden, he's caught up in God's mission in the world. And he's, he's the most verbose, um, highly documented prophet we have. All these are super important things to think about, because if you dismiss worship as, oh, it shouldn't be a feeling, it shouldn't be on a setting, it shouldn't be about a style, you miss a big part of it. It is about style, it is about setting, it is about feelings. But all of those things are contextual. Contextual. The content is what counts. Ultimately, it's about content. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, why? Well, because we need more than ourselves. We need more than ourselves. Uh, we need to worship something. That's literally a human thing to need to worship something. Now, if, if I had some friends up here who are atheists and agnostics, they might say, I beg to differ. I don't worship anything. Oh, really? How's your career going? Well, as I said in my last book, uh-huh, right. Uh, or what is it that you're worshiping? What is it that you're so fearful about <clears throat> that you're trying to put out of your mind that you make agreements with the universe? I don't know. Uh, if this doesn't happen, I'll, I'll do this. We will worship something. The question is who or what? Why? Because we need more for ourselves. We are not enough. And because we're not enough, we often worship people, hoping that they will be enough. We want to marry the perfect person. Uh, when we finally meet the perfect person, they will not have anything to do with us because they identify us as an imperfect person. And so we have to marry uh, or meet another imperfect person, and then we expect them to be perfect. Uh, well, okay, the marriage isn't so perfect, but the kids, the kids will be perfect. Or you know what, I got to get out of L.A. I got to move somewhere safe and happy and peaceful. I'm going to Portland. You follow where I'm going with this? We need something other than ourselves, and we hope a place or a person, a profession. Once I get that, you know, okay, sure, once you get that, good luck with that. Probably one of the most elegant sentences in the human language. Uh, it was written originally in, um, I'm assuming it was written in Latin. Uh, it was written by Augustine. And uh, he said this. It was, it was in a book he wrote talking about his faith and what he'd been learning. And his, his, uh, his book was called Confessions. And it wasn't like one long, well, another thing I did. No, it's confessions as in, here's what I believe and here's why. And right out of the chute, right out of the gate, and in Confessions 111, the first book, the first paragraph uh, in that, he says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
He starts the paragraph by saying, oh, Lord. And then he says a couple things by way of introduction. And then he says, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Is that not an elegant sentence? You have made us for yourselves. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Uh, it's a beautiful use of language, and it translates well. It translates so beautifully. It's, it's, it's prose that feels like poetry. And so the first big idea of the morning is this. God has come into the world and made himself known in Jesus Messiah. There was a long ramp up to this. Uh, you see in the book of Hebrews, toward the end of the New Testament, uh, a person who's steeped in, in Jewish theology uh, lays this all out for us, saying, in many ways, in many times, through prophets and priests and kings, God has been preparing us uh, for the Messiah. And here he is, in Jesus. We see that hope realized, that promise fulfilled. And, and so this is the big news. God has come into the world and made himself known in Jesus Messiah. And so in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from the fir first book to the last book, we see God's revelation of himself, what we could not otherwise know of God. Uh, how do we know things? We know things by what we see, what we experience. Uh, that's, that's how we get at our epistemology, how we know stuff. Somebody said, what's your epistemology? You go, I, I haven't had one. Thankfully, my doctor watches me pretty closely. Well, no. Uh, what is your theory, your philosophy of, of reality and, and learning and understanding how to identify and live in reality, how to separate you know, fact from fiction, the imaginative or imaginary from the real. That's your epistemology. It's what you see and what you experience generally. Uh, it might be what you read and what you study, but that, that's part of that tactile approach to understanding the world. But that's not enough. Just as we are not enough in ourselves, that isn't enough, and that's why God then reveals to us what we could not otherwise have access to. And maybe you've seen that cartoon where it shows this hapless scientist at this blackboard, there's this, it's just thick with equations and equations and equations, and, and, and then there's a gap, and then there's more equations, and in the middle, the, the cartoonist has written, and, and, and then a miracle occurs. He can't explain how it all fits, so he throws in that, hey, here's where the miracle happens. And so it's sort of a joke. It's saying, yeah, well, we always default to the imaginative or imaginary when the reality is just out of reach. But the fact in this case is that reality had to come to us. It had to come to us. We couldn't identify it. Uh, we are always uh, the blind man around the elephant. It's the elephant who has to say, that's my trunk, please leave it alone, you know. Or come closer and I'll tell you more. So in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see God's revelation of himself. It begins with creation. It culminates in a new heaven and a new earth. And in between is an amazing and heartbreaking and heart-inspiring plot, the way God interacts with this creation. The beauty of its, of its uh, launch, the heartbreak of its crash, and the hopefulness of its recovery. And so we learn that Jesus is God with us, and his will is that we thrive and grow. Not that we become religious, but that we become alive. The whole point is to become alive. Why? Because God is alive. He's called the living God. And we see that Jesus is God with us, and his will is that we thrive and grow. He proclaimed, taught, and demonstrated this. And so, again, it's breathtaking. It's inspiring. Literally, I'm using those words specifically. Breathtaking. <gasps> Who could have thought this could happen? Inspiring. I'm being filled with his spirit. 
It's radical and controversial news. It's good news for those who accept it. It is, it is annoying news for those who don't. And that's why I, I keep coming back to this, this sub-theme that in the academy, in the modern academy, that place where the most important ideas are discussed, we will not allow any conversation about God to enter into that holy temple, that sanctified space, because we think it will pollute it and compromise it. We miss the whole point that I cannot know unless God shows me. I can study, I can prepare, but at the end of the day, I need wisdom and discernment and it is just out of my reach. It's good news for those who accept it, it's bad news for those who don't. And the sad thing is what they don't know is it's really bad news if you don't accept the good news. So in Jesus Christ, we find a cure for our restlessness. It's not a take it once and it's good forever. It's accept it, it's good forever, but you need to constantly be refilled. Your restlessness has to be met in a fresh way throughout the week, week to week, right? So I'm a, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been a follower of Jesus. Why do I still feel restless? Well, because you're a human being in process. And the idea that you are constantly coming back to restlessness, don't despair, don't think I must not have accepted Jesus correctly or God must not be really involved in my life. Did you eat yesterday? Well, yes, I did. Uh, will you eat today? Well, I've already eaten today. Why? Well, I was hungry. Why'd you get hungry if you ate yesterday? Well, silly, you have to keep eating. Ah, right? This is a process called sanctification. God continually renewing us, reviving us, refilling us. Because restlessness is just so much a part of our architecture that God is showing us to find a rest it isn't denying restlessness. It's coming to the one who can give us rest. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said. I will give you rest. Again, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, hey, those people who God brought out of Egypt as slaves uh, were restless because they would never rely on him. They, they kept second-guessing him. They kept sandbagging him. And finally he said, okay, they're going to have to walk around for 40 years until they're gone. And a new generation will have to then learn in a fresh way how to trust me. And the writer says, but for us there is still a Sabbath rest. Jesus is the one who gives rest to our souls. And I'm sure this is where Augustine got that motivation to write that elegant sentence. And so worshiping God reorders a rhythm of work and rest. We have to live in a rhythm of work and rest. You're made to work. Why? Because God made us in his image, which means we have capacities not to be God, but to emulate the things that God does. And says, God worked six days. He did all this creative stuff. Every day, he'd say, it's good, it's good, it's good. At the end of the, the, the process, the sixth day, he said, it's very good. And on the seventh, he rested. So there's a Sabbath rest for us uh, because we're emulating the very thing that God has done. He rests and he calls us into that rest. And so this rest is revolutionary. That's why it's so radical. It goes to the core of us. It's remaking us from the inside out. And so what we see here is that Sabbath, the Sabbath that he, 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 he commands of us, gives to us as a gift, is holy time. It's holy time. That's why the setting or the style or the feelings are important but not core. It's, it's the holy time with God that is core. And if you do it with great exuberance or you do it quietly on, you know, in a very silent place, it still counts. 
because you're making a holy time for God. So the Sabbath is not tied to a place, not tied to a particular style. How can we have communion? We don't have anything. Uh, do we have water and a Ritz cracker? I don't know. We can make it happen. Not because we're denigrating the body and the blood, but we're saying we can have communion in all kinds of ways. Uh, do I have to be baptized by immersion or, or sprinkling? Wherever there's water, we'll baptize you in any way we can. We like the symbolism of the full body immersion. If we can't get that, we'll take what we can get, right? It's the holy time that we're focusing on. Because holy places become simply tourist traps. Pay some money, come see Notre Dame. Holy time. And so in Sabbath, we follow God's rest from his creative work. And then worship connects us to God and sends us into the world to serve God. So you see that rhythm of work and rest. We come and we rest. That Sabbath is to protect us from overwork. You and I have the capacity uh, for overwork. Why? Why are we such an overworking culture? We are an overworking culture. And I know there's people who don't work very hard. They're malingers. A bunch of people got a small check from the government and they stopped working. It's like, what were you thinking about? I can't tell you how many business people I've talked to who said, I can't get staffing. I had a person doing a great job, getting paid well, and they got a check from the government. They said, I'll see you when the, the money's out. Like, and this guy was beside himself, thinking, I don't even have a category for that. But most of us want to work. We want something creative, engaging to do. Most people would say, I want to work, but my job is so boring, I need a job that, you know. And so, but work is so endemic to who we are. We, we, were, we have the capacity to overwork. Why? Because it's easier to do something like that than to deal with some of the other stuff in our life that's more messy. And so Sabbath says, stop and know that I am God. Stop and let me fill you, let me refresh you. And Sabbath is not meant to be an austere time of withdrawal. I think one of the big mistakes that, that others before us have made with Sabbath is to say, it's got to be severe, it's got to hurt. Or it's not Sabbath. I think Sabbath should be filled with the sound of children laughing and playing, right? People sitting around a table eating and talking and telling stories. It should be a thing where I feel like taking a nap. I feel like taking a walk. I feel like putting around in my garden. I'm not really working. I'm just enjoying the garden. Or, you know. But if it's, I got to get this done, sorry, that doesn't, that doesn't fit in this day. Yeah, but if I don't do it, Monday's going to be, let Monday be Monday. Today is a day to rest. So how do you capture that refreshment and that rest? That's about the holiness of Sabbath. We've lost a capacity for Sabbath. I think it'd be pretty hard to say, well, we're going to establish Sabbath again. Everything, everything shuts down on Sunday. Not sure that's necessarily what we have to do. But we have to claim a Sabbath somewhere in that week of work and rest. What is your Sabbath? Monday is my Sabbath. Obviously, Sunday can't be my Sabbath. I've got I to carve out some time on Monday just to be still and know that I am God. I now, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But what, what we want to do is be part of what he's doing, whether it's resting in him or working with him. So, so wherever, whenever, however, we want to be in stride with God, working and resting, that rhythm of work and rest. It changes up at different times in our life. Uh, our rest and work rhythm changes the older we get. It's more rest and less work. Uh, earlier in life, it's more rest and less work, more naps, sleeping in uh, longer. We still need that as we get older, but we tend to have a different rhythm, right? And so the churches make an impact for God by inviting God to make an impact in them. 
That's why churches exist. Uh, to be a community built around him at the core. And because God is the center of our life together, we revere him and honor him. That's why we worship him. It's not because he has a really weak ego and we have to build it and buttress it up for him. No, really, you're okay. You can do it. We're not doing that. You can lift that. You know, we're not telling God, he's, you're awesome, because he's so insecure he needs the reassurance. Uh, this was true of Caesar who called himself Lord but needed constant reassurance. You like me, right? You really like me. I'll give you bread and circuses. Hey, we'll bring people into the Colosseum and have a great time together. Here's a free loaf of bread while you're coming in or going out. That's not God. Why do we worship? Why do we praise him and, 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 and recognize his greatness? It's for us. It reminds us we're not enough in ourselves. It gives us what we need, an outlet for worship. Otherwise, we'll worship lesser things. Because we will worship something or someone, right? And so, therefore, we worship him in community with the family of God, the body of Christ. You might be here on your own, but you're part of a community. You might be uh, unrelated to anybody in this room. You're part of a family. How does that work? Well, because you're in Christ. You're part of the household of God. This is the beauty of it. We're a family of families. It's just one of me. Um, you're part of the family. And so our spiritual life is a rhythm of time alone and time together. This is what I mentioned a second ago. I'm coming back to this. We need to honor both to thrive and grow. Time alone and time together. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, prior to being, obviously, prior to being uh, murdered by Hitler, wrote an amazing book called Life Together. He wrote several books, but uh, one called Life Together. And during that horrible time of oppression under Nazism, uh, so many people who said, this is outrageous, and we've got to continue being the church in spite of the fact that the institutional church is capitulated to Hitler. and said, hey, it's good. Love that the trains run on time. It's just fantastic. But, the, but these, meanwhile, these people are saying, this is not right. Let's create a community. Let's create an ideal community. And Bonhoeffer was very quick to say, you cannot create an ideal community. The idea of church is not creating an ideal community. It's being a community comprised of people spending time alone and time together. We can easily make an idol out of worship. That's why years ago, a worship leader, a very, a very well-known worship leader named Matt Redman, was so tired of people saying, oh, yeah, I want more of this. Let's do this. Hey, where's the smoke machine? Where, you know, and he said, and finally he said, uh, the, he's a British pastor, and he said, we're not going to worship anymore the way we've been worshiping until we recalibrate what worship is for us. He said, let's go back to the heart of worship. Let's, get, let's peel back all the stuff that we've come to associate with worship, the whole show, and let's start over again and rebuild our understanding of worship. And so this idea of, of, of time alone and time together is so Important. I love that line from one of the songs we sang. No one can worship for no one can worship you for me. That was that was a line of the song, talking to God. No one can worship you for me. Let that sink in. No one can worship you for me. Another way of saying that is we don't live for or through other people. That might come as a shock to you. I live for my kids. I live through my great work. Big mistake. If you live for your kids, you'll ruin them or they'll ruin you. If you live through anything or anyone, same thing. 
We have to live in and for Christ in community together. We live in Christ, we live for Christ in community together. Therefore, you get the best of me, I get the best of you. Our kids get the best of us as parents. Parents get the best out of their kids when they, they raise up their kids to live like that. I saw uh, uh, one of those Bear grills adventure shows. Jan and I were watching it, and, and he was taking this, this actor who won a, a Grammy Award on one of these adventures, and he said, hey, how did you become an actor? He said, well, I was actually studying, I think he wanted to be a doctor, and he was at Stanford. And he said, I, I, I started doing some acting stuff, and I loved it. It's like, or maybe it was engineering, and, 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 he, and now he's doing acting, so he called his mother. Uh, and this is a single mom, and for him to be at Stanford on this scholarship was like unbelievable. Growing up in the hood, in the inner city, it's like this was an amazing opportunity, and he was a super sharp guy. And so he said, Mom, um, I want, everything is going great, you know, uh, don't worry, but I want to tell you, I'm not thinking that engineering is what I'm supposed to do. I really want to pursue acting. And there's a pause, apparently, you know, and she said, Honey, have you prayed about it? He said, yes, I have. She said, then okay. Yeah, beautiful picture. He's not living for mom. Mom's not living through him. They both live together in community in Christ. Wow. She's still his mom. He called her first, right? He knew that she had to say okay or else he wasn't going to be comfortable doing it. She was wise enough to honor the fact that he was doing that and support him. And if that's what you think God is calling you to do, do that. Now, of course, from this standpoint, she was a genius because he's been so incredibly successful at what he's done. So that's how we love one another best. And so thriving and growing requires that we take responsibility to feed our souls. Again, I, I've heard so many times in the 40 years I've been a pastor, the church is just not feeding me. Really? How does that make sense? How does that make any sense whatsoever that the church just isn't feeding me? Well, I, I understand when people say, well, if, if this sermon, I got nothing out of it. It's just a bunch of silly stories linked together and a little bit of humor and a, three, three weak points in a poem. But at some point, you have to say, all right, um, what you're saying is that you're assigning the pastor, the choir, the worship team, the prayer, the whomever, to worship God for you and, and to entertain you as you watch somebody worshiping God. We worship him in community with the family of God, the body of Christ. But thriving and growing requires that we take responsibility for our own souls. And at some point, you know as much as any pastor. You've heard so many sermons, you could probably give a better sermon than, than me. You just say, I've heard, I heard somebody else say that even way better. And that, believe me, that happens between services all the time. Hey, well, I heard so-and-so say it this way, and I think, gosh, I wish I was so-and-so. No, I say, I say, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. I'm literally, it doesn't bother me. I just think that's fantastic. It tells me that they're, they've got their antenna out there. They're listening. They're looking. And so there's no shame in that. But personal worship and corporate worship are essential for thriving and growing. You've got to be worshiping God on your own before you get here. That's why when you, if, you, if you start the day with what some people call a quiet time, that is a fantastic habit to get into. Whether you do it every day or, or throughout the week, whatever the rhythm is for you. You, you, you open the Bible, you read it, you say, you talk to God, you might read a proverb, a psalm, you might be in a Bible reading plan, 
<clears throat> our, our youngest daughter sent me this text this week, and I opened the text, and she said, this was in my Bible reading plan for the day. There's a picture of my friend, <laughs> I go, why was, who she knows really well. And I'm like, why is there a picture of this guy in the Bible reading plan? Well, because they were quoting him, and they had this wacky picture of him, you know. But I, I thought, oh, it's so fun to know that she's going through the Bible in her quiet time, her daily routine, right? And so this is the beauty of, of worshiping God personally. That's what Bonhoeffer was saying. Time alone and time together. You need them both. If you have not spent any time alone with God, you're missing out big time. You are denying yourself essential vitamins and elements and minerals that you need for thriving and growing. Uh, if you just come to church and hope it all happens there, no wonder you'll complain that you're not being fed. You're starving yourself all week and you can't eat enough to feel satisfied on one meal and then you're moaning and groaning about it. Jesus described worship as a vital connection with God rooted in spirit and truth. He says it this way in John chapter 4. Uh, remember, he, he, he was stopping to get, uh, take a rest. He sent the guys into the village to get some food. He's at a well. It's, it's mid-morning, the time when usually it's very quiet because all the women have gotten their, their water early. It's kind of a community thing. They all go get water, talk, catch up before the day gets away from them. In this case, a woman, and you know the story, it's called the woman at the well, and I won't go into all those elements of the story, but along the way in this conversation, she recognizes him, obviously, a Jewish guy. Jewish guys don't usually talk to Samaritans, especially a Samaritan woman. And so she gets into this theological thing. Well, you people say, you know, we should worship God this way. Well, we worship God this way. And so she starts to make that kind of banter, and he cuts right to the chase. He said, you know, the time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Immediately we think that must be some mystical thing we're supposed to be doing. Who could possibly know what that means to worship in spirit and truth? I know. I have to speak in tongues. I don't have to, I have to yell loud. I have to or be quiet. Never talk to people. <clears throat> I had a friend who, when he, he, uh, in our relationship, um, uh, uh, together, he, he became a follower of Jesus, went off to college, got involved in this really severe group of, it wasn't a cult, but it was a really severe group of Christians who were really trying to take God seriously. So next time I saw him uh, at, a, at a break, he was just so serious, and he was a very fun and funny person, and we're talking, and I'm cracking jokes, and he's just like, not, he, he's, he's very clear that I'm, I'm very uncomfortable laughing. And I said, Dave, what is going on? He goes, well, you know, I'm really trying to take God seriously. I said, no, 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 I think you're taking something and someone seriously, but don't blame that on God. You are not being you. And so after a while, he was just back to being Dave. And it wasn't like silliness that was just dumb. It was just a sense of being alive and expressing that, right? So, so okay, worshiping in spirit and truth, it's about aliveness. It's not about some secret thing you've got to figure out. Well, that could possibly be spiritual enough and true enough. Are there certain words or you know, handshakes or elements? No. It just means spiritually and truthfully. Not about, well, your people say, and this, well, I grew up in, you know, if you don't do this in this order, it's like, forget it. If those things are inherently meaningful and help you focus spiritually on the Lord and hear the truth from Him and tell the truth to Him, that's a good worship service. If anything or anyone obscures that, distorts that, suppresses that, distracts you from that, 
That's not spiritual, and it's not true. So it's very simple what Jesus is saying. Basically, he's saying it's worshiping God on his terms under his instructions, spiritually and authentically. Worshiping requires engaging with Jesus personally and in community. Do you see how simple it is? We make it so complicated when it doesn't need to be. To the point that it's okay to say, you know, uh, I miss the Catholic church I grew up in. I'm going to go worship uh, at a Catholic church because I just love the smells and bells. It's very powerful, very evocative. My friends who are Greek Orthodox, they go once a year whether they need to or not. And then they go to the Greek festival and eat the best baklava and, uh, you know, uh, souflaki and stuff. But my point is this, that it, it, we have to constantly say, am I worshiping in spirit and truth or am I just mailing it in? If you feel like sitting there quiet when everybody else is standing there with their hands up, you should do that. If you feel like standing with your hands up and everybody's sitting there quietly, as long as you're not distracting them, do that. If you feel like getting in front of your chair and on your knees and putting your head down, do that. Now, if you're doing it to show off, don't do that. But if we see somebody doing that, we'll assume this is, what, this is the posture that's going to help them focus on the Lord right now. If you're laughing when everybody else is crying, you're filled with joy, welcome to every funeral I've ever done. What's the appropriate thing for you in that context? Uh, we, we were seeing this joyful praise song one time. Just the whole place was filled with people, just awesome. It felt like you were in heaven. And I look over, there's this big guy, he's an attorney, and he's just weeping. I thought, oh, wow, what's, what's going on with him? So afterwards, I said, hey, how are you feeling? What are you feeling? He goes, you know, I've been holding God at arm's length for so long. And it finally hit me that he, want, he loved me and wanted me to know him. And so today I gave myself to Christ. And he said, I just lost it. And then I realized, oh, no. I'm so conspicuous because I'm big, and I'm weeping. I'm going to freak people out. Well, the girl that he eventually married was then his girlfriend. standing next to him was like, this is awesome, right? It made her a day. So you see where this goes? Spirit and truth. In that spirit and in that truth, we will intentionally thrive and grow in Christ. You have the freedom to worship him in spirit and in truth. If you're walking into church and you're saying, I would rather be anywhere but here, that's true, and if you say, but I am here, and I'm going to ask God to speak to me, that's spiritual. I didn't go to church because I've been such a jerk to my wife all week. Well, I can tell you what, if you want to disrupt that pattern, it would be better for you to go to church. Because that's one way of recuperating. And so worship develops our heart for Christ, our mind for Christ, our life for Christ. So the, net, the first idea was God came into the world to make himself known in Christ. Second one, we've been talking about worshiping God in the spirit is yielding ourselves to his spirit. <clears throat> and, and worship then is our active response to what? Fact, data, content. Jesus' is life, Jesus' is death, Jesus' is resurrection, Jesus' is ascension into heaven, Jesus' is promised return. All the words that God has spoken to us, revealing himself through prophets and, and captured in scripture, all of that is the data the content, and that's, that's the, the thing that fills our worship that we actively respond to in real time with the real issues that we're facing. It isn't just an escape into the, you know, the 10th century BC. It's a connection with the ongoing witness of God to bring me up to present in my own life. Do you think of that? Think about that for a second. All the wisdom of God over time is made available to you right now in your life where you need it. You're not saying, I better get away from my life so I can fake out myself and get distracted by old stuff that's irrelevant. 
He said, if I want to know what my life means right now, I need to step away from it for a second and look and figure out what's going on. You will not know the context of your life but for that. And that happens in worship personally and worship corporately. It happens in reason reinforced in life groups, on retreats, uh, doing things like community Bible study or whatever helps you do that. So until we're hungry for God and long for Him, we won't care about worship. We just won't care. It's irrelevant. It, there's no category that it fits for us. You won't have a felt need. But once you recognize your need, that you're filling with other stuff, you can't get enough of it. Why? Because when I show up, I start to pay attention to what God is doing and I ask him to speak to me through it. Otherwise, we'll attend worship or endure worship, but we'll never really engage deeply in worship. And so the final point is this. In Christ, God is building us into a holy temple inhabited by his spirit. This is why it's important for us to go to church, to be a church, right? Jesus didn't die so we could go to church. Jesus died so we could be a church. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers to God or to one another, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Household, the Greek word uh, oikos, the basis for our word economy. An economy is a description of a system of relationships that support us, that allow us to thrive and grow. Our economy is rooted in, in the presence of God, the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So worship confirms and deepens our participation in God's kingdom. Our, our, our identity in God's household, beloved sons and daughters by faith. He calls us to be his disciples who in turn help others to become his disciples. Uh, and, and then we see it gets even more spectacular. Uh, we see in Revelation chapter 5, it talks about at the end of time, all people have been gathered. And all this dramatic, very symbolic stuff is happening to, to show who God is. He's not only the, the sacrificial lamb, he's the great lion of Judah. E evil is destroyed uh, righteousness prevails. It's just an amazing thing. It's the, it's the precursor uh, and the process leading to this new heaven and a new earth. And it says, and, and so all these people sang a new song, and the song had lyrics. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is of the Lamb, right? Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. See, we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us. And then John, witnessing this, the same John we read from his gospel earlier, says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne, the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Effusive in this declaration. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing 
To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And he, and he says, the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down in worship, fell face down. Not fell down like, oops, I tripped, and it was like a domino effect. But they, they just wanted to prostrate themselves before God. So, this is a powerful message to us. We worship out of our shared identity as priests of the living God. You are a priest of the living God. We are a priesthood of believers. Now, you might have a, a different role than a, a full-time pastoral role, but you are part of the priesthood of all believers. You are a priest with a sphere of influence. If you're a mom or a dad, you have an immediate sphere of influence. If you're a grandparent, you have an immediate sphere of influence. Uh, whomever you interact with is part of your sphere of influence, not to mug them in Jesus' name, but to minister to them in Jesus' name, in word and deed. All believers are part of this priesthood. There are no spectators in heaven. Everybody gets to participate. Everybody gets to play. So how should we worship? How should we express it? Again, um, we read in Scripture, for, and I'll end with this, Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which bind them, binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, the shalom of God, the ongoing Sabbath rest of God. Since as members of one body, you were called uh, to God's shalom, made possible through God's Shabbat. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow. That's, that's what I hope comes to your mind when you hear the word worship. In spirit and in truth. In season, out of season, all the seasons of your life. So that's what brings us to this table uh, that we call Holy Communion. Holy time with God. Uh, it, it's called the Eucharist, that for which we give thanks. I mean, to this day in Greece, if somebody does something for you, you say, Eucharisto, thank you. Eucharisto, really, that's a modern word, version of it. Eucharisto, thank you. So it's a thank you. Uh, it's, it's called the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist. What it is, is reminding us to whom we belong. And so on that night that he was betrayed, Jesus, having spent that Passover meal with his disciples, took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup. Uh, I have no doubt he gave the great Hebrew blessing. I won't say it, but the whole blessing that they knew by heart. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And hearing him say that Hebraic blessing that they've always heard, and all of a sudden identifying it with this cup, you, you're the one. You're the one who makes this possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so uh, you have your little pack there, and when, you're, when I'm going to pray, and then when you're ready, uh, eat the bread, drink the cup, and, and, and then give yourself as an offering to God as we, as we wrap up worship in, in some song 
Uh, and then if you want to make a financial offering, you can put that in the, um, the little box there or mail it in, however you choose to do that. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've called us into a living relationship with you that's defined by worship, personal, day-to-day with you, corporately together on occasions like this. We thank you, Lord, that this holy meal, this bread and this cup remind us of your atoning sacrifice for our sin. We're breaking the power of sin and death over us for your eternal glory and your promised return. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've given us your word and that as we face our ongoing restlessness, we know to whom we can turn. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you for all this in your holy name. Amen. To let it all go And I see it now I'm laying it down And I know that I need you I run to the Father I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon My soul needs a friend So I'll run to the Father again and again And again and again You saw my condition And had a plan from the start Your son for redemption price for my heart and I don't have a context for that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend all I know is I need you 
grace I'm done with the hiding The reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon My soul needs a friend So I run to the Father Again and again And again and again Love Love Again and again And again and again Long before my first breath Running into your arms He's running to life from death And I feel this rush deep in my chest Your mercy is calling out Just as I am, you pull me in And I know I need today, if we can pray for you about anything, maybe it's for you, maybe for somebody you're concerned for, a situation, a decision, whatever, go right out around the corner to that lovely little prayer garden, and Kathy will be there to have a brief prayer with you before you go. If there's anything we can do to help you make that next step, coming to Christ, uh, growing in your knowledge and love of Him, uh, getting connected to a community, uh, we want to help you do that. So don't be shy about asking us. Go on websites. It'll give you all kinds of ways to do that. We just welcome you. Thank you for being in worship today. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us his love, his peace, his mercy, his power, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.
Yeah. 